Hello and welcome back to the John Lavero Actualized Podcast. I'm your host, John Lavero. If you've tuned in before, you've probably noticed that a lot of this podcast has been about music, performance, uh, things going on during the pandemic with musicians, what's going on with my band, The Higgs. And though there will be a little bit of that today, we're going to have some different topics to discuss, and one in particular that I can think of off the top of my head that I really wanted to get into. And if you haven't listened to this podcast before, this podcast is basically based on me ranting on what's going on in my daily life and what's going on with music and things like that. Yeah, today is no exception. I have something that I was very interested in that I got to go and check out. And uh, just to start off, we had a show up in Northern California, up off the 395 in beautiful Nevada City. Actually, off the 50, if you go all the way up the 395 and cut over on the 50, you go around Lake Tahoe. You know, it's actually one of the most beautiful drives I've ever done in my entire life. I used to think that that drive to Colorado through all those mountain roads, through, you know, the Aspen and Breckenridge and everything, and you get up to the that huge peak, the Vail Pass up there. I always used to think that that was the most beautiful drive in the United States. But after doing this 395 drive from Big Pine all the way up north and then cutting over to Nevada City, uh, I think that that takes the cake as the most beautiful drive that I've ever taken. It was absolutely gorgeous. You're right in the middle between the Eastern Sierra and the West Sierra and It's just fantastic. The views are absolutely phenomenal. So if you're ever going up towards that part of the state up in like northern, east northern California, it may take a little longer and may add a little bit of time to your trip if you're not going to take the five. Try taking the 395 and uh, yeah, it's the scenic route. It's absolutely beautiful. Anyway, for a while, for a long time, geez, probably close to about 10 years, I've been fascinated, absolutely fascinated with the White Mountains right off the 395, right next to Big Pine. And the White Mountains, I think the the peak of the White Mountains is about 14,000 feet. So you're way up there. The tallest peak in the continental United States is right across the way on the other side of the Sierra. And that's 16, I think around 16,000 feet. So the White Mountain Peak is no slouch. It's way, way up there. And I've spent time in Lone Pine, which is at the base of Mount Whitney, essentially. My buddy has a really cool cabin there, and I've spent days there exploring the Alabama hills and just hanging out next to the creek, taking the road up to Whitney Portal to go fishing and things like that. So I've had experience in that general area. Haven't stopped in Big Pine so much though, but that is basically like right where the road that leads up to the mountains is. And uh, so instead of going straight to Nevada City, I stopped in Big Pine the night before I drove up to Nevada City. So I was supposed to be in Nevada City on Friday night, We had a live stream gig on Thursday in Burbank, and I just took off straight from Burbank, went right up to the White Mountains, or Big Pine, really. I stayed in Big Pine uh, the night of the live stream. I got there around 2 in the morning and went right to bed, stayed in this little motel. It's called the Bristle Cone Motel. Bristle Cone. That's a lead-in to some other things that we're going to be talking about here. 
So stayed in the Bristlecone uh, Motel and woke up really early with the sun, grabbed some supplies, some water, some snacks, some coffee, things like that to get revved up. And we started the ascent. It was like about a 45-minute drive up a windy road that in some places turns into a one-lane road that goes all the way up the mountain. And I think down in Big Pine, we're starting at around 5,000, 6,000 feet elevation. This road takes you not to the peak, quite to the peak of the White Mountains, but it takes you to 10,000 feet to the ancient Bristlecone Pine Forest. And why is that important? Well, these trees are the oldest living single organism beings on the face of the earth. The oldest things on the face of the earth that'll, that are single organisms. I guess there are things that exist that are older, that are clonal. So what that means is, like, for example, there's this grove of aspen trees in Utah that basically all comes from the same root system. So all these trees are growing underground and they're basically a clone of each other. So when one dies, a new one grows. And they say that that clonal organism underground has been there for about 80,000 years. But that's a little bit different than what we're talking about because these bristlecone pine trees up in the White Mountains, they're single organisms. They're not connected to any root system below. So on their own, these trees have survived 5,000 plus years, okay? Unbelievable stuff, unbelievable stuff. And when you get there, it's fascinating because the conditions in the area that they're in, 10,000 feet up in the air in the White Mountains, which is pretty desolate. I mean, you have uh, Death Valley right there on the other side. You can see it from the top of the mountain. And, you know, you're in that like middle California, closer to Southern California. So it's like very deserty and dry. And you wouldn't think that that would be the most ideal conditions to survive for 5,000 years. But I, um, from what I kind of gather and understand is that's part of the reason that they do, um, because they are so uh, restricted from resources and things like that. They've had to adapt. And what one of their major qualities is, is they grow so incredibly slow and so incredibly dense. So their rings, like when you cut a tree open and you look at the rings, these rings are so small and like microscopic to the point where you can't just like look at it with a naked eye and count the rings. Um, you could have 300 rings in a little circle like this. And for the people who are just listening, I'm making, you know, about a six inch circle. And, um, th these trees are incredibly, incredibly old. Yeah. So, uh, what happens is like the, some of the trees on the lower elevation where th they're the same species are bristlecone pine trees, and they maybe have a little bit more water and they're not getting beat down by the sun as much. These trees grow faster and taller, same species, bristlecone pine trees. But what happens because they're actually given more resources and they're more well-fed and more well-hydrated, they grow faster, but they don't grow with that dense wood that these old, old trees do in certain parts of the mountains where they're even more restricted from water, beat down on the sun even more so it's even drier. So what happens is when they grow faster, they don't grow as dense. And when they don't grow as dense, they're more susceptible to things like beetles and funguses and infections and um, heart rot, things like that. So when these trees are actually restricted 
of water and restricted of nutrients, they grow really slow, like I said, and very dense. So what happens is like if a beetle tries to come and mess with that tree, it's such a hard wood that it has a hard time penetrating it. Thus, these trees have very few reasons uh, for to die. So it's really, really incredibly fascinating. And back in the late 50s, this dude Edmund Shulman went up there on a whim because he heard that there's some old trees up there. And he's a researcher who had been researching climate change throughout the years. And one of the things that they do to... Got him. (laughs) One of the things that they do to see climate change throughout the years is they, and this is so incredible. They take samples of these trees. They'll basically like stick a tool inside of the tree and take out a nice, you know, like tube of tree from end to end. So it's just a little section of the tree that I believe gets filled back in by sap. So it's not really harming the tree much. There's this fly flying around here and it is so incredibly annoying. I swear there was no flies around the house and then all of a sudden I turn the lights on and turn record on and there's a fly and he's flying all up in my face and stuff. So, okay, I'm getting a little distracted here. So they take these tree ring samples, right? And what they're able to do is they're able to look at these samples and see that if there was more space or less space between each ring, that can determine how hydrated the earth was, how much rain the earth was that year. So what they're able to do is look back from a 5,000 year old tree. They'll be able to look back 5,000 years and basically get weather records for what was going on centuries ago. So what they can tell is like, are if the droughts are normal that we're experiencing in California, from what I've heard, they're, they're pretty normal. So like the forties and the fifties were two of the wettest seasons that we've ever experienced in the Southern California area. And that's when LA was built. That's when Vegas was being created and all that. So people moved into this area thinking that it was, you know, there's rain and things like that. Really, they're in the middle of a dry desert that rarely gets rain. And they were able to find that kind of thing out from looking at these tree rings. It's super, super fascinating. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, that guy, Edmund Shulman, was just going up to the White Mountains on a whim because he heard there's some old bristlecone pines up there, and he started to do some samples. And I think in 1957, he discovered the oldest tree in the world. Okay. The oldest tree in the world that had been tested. I mean, are there older trees? Sure. Probably, but they just haven't been sampled and cored. But this tree, the Methuselah tree is out there in the ancient bristlecone pine forest. Now there was another tree uh, called Prometheus that was in a different park in Nevada. There's the great basin state park And that contains bristlecone pines also. And it's at a similar elevation where they grow around 10,000 feet. And there was this grad student who was doing similar studies as Edmund Shulman. This guy was a little less experienced in the whole thing. And so, yeah, what they do is they put these rods in the tree and they like crank it in there. And it basically cores them out a sample. And I think they do it by hand. So what this guy was doing, he had like some like $900 tool from Sweden. That was like his, 
uh, sampler and he's cranking it in there and it breaks as he's cranking it in there. So he's up in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't have access to more of these tools. His one piece that he was going to use to pull out these tree samples got stuck in this tree. So yeah, again, this is over in Nevada in the Great Basin State Park where they also have these trees. So what happened was, I don't know how they came to this conclusion, but he basically went back to the ranger station and was like, yo, my thing got broken. Or my, my tool is broken. It's in the tree. Okay, so somehow the conclusion of this was to take a chainsaw and chop down the bristlecone pine. Okay, so he takes a piece of this pine back to his hotel room that night. And he starts looking through the microscope and counting rings, counting rings, counting rings. And he doesn't believe it, so he's counting it over and over again. Turns out, he just killed the oldest living tree known to man. Okay, this tree was older than the Methuselah tree that I'm talking about up in the Bristlecone Pine Forest up in California. So, Edmund Shulman found Methuselah in like 1957... This guy found what they now call the dead tree Prometheus in the 60s. So, so now Methuselah is the longstanding oldest tree known, okay? There's also some other stuff like this. Supposedly, this guy took a sample from Edmund Shulman's work from way back in the 50s, recently, like 2012 or something like that. And he tested one of those old samples and turned out that a tree was even older than Methuselah in that same grove in the Bristlecone Pine Forest in California. But no one ever found that sample after that guy died. There's no evidence of where the tree is. They're basically like the information is lost. There's no proof. So we either just take that guy's word that there was an older, that there is an older tree that was tested and found in that forest. Or we go by the records. And if you look at the records of like the oldest trees, Methuselah is at the top technically because there's proof. There's actually a core sample. They know exactly where the tree is. They know exactly where the tree is. And that's where things get kind of fun. And that's where things get kind of mysterious and weird. Um, so they don't tell you where Methuselah is. And for good reason, if everyone that went to that park knew where Methuselah is, I think by now that tree would probably be in pretty bad shape. What a lot of people don't know is the location of the tree used to be, I think I wasn't there in the the late fifties, but I think it was relatively well known because what ended up happening was, is they made it a secret and they stopped telling people because people were literally like taking chunks of the tree off and you know, the vandalization. I mean, imagine, uh, some like billionaire mogul, if he knew exactly where that was and he just sent some guy in there with a chainsaw, like, yeah, I'll pay you 20 grand to go chop down this tree and bring it back to me so I can make a table out of it. You know, who knows what people might do if they knew the location of that tree, right? This is the thing. Like if you go on Google and you search Methuselah tree, you're going to see thousands of photos. Okay. And a lot of these photos are of the same tree and it's beautiful. And like, there's this iconic shot of 
Methuselah tree. And it's this bristlecone pine that's kind of all alone on a hillside. There are other trees around it, but it seems very alone in a lot of these shots that are taken. And it's this gnarling, twisted tree. And a lot of times you'll see like an epic Milky Way behind it because people take these um, long exposure photos that allow them to get space in the Milky Way along with the tree in the shot. Phenomenal. Really, really cool looking stuff. But in fact, right off the bat, you could absolutely tell that that's not Methuselah because that tree is dead, okay? Methuselah is alive. That's why Methuselah is a record holder. Methuselah is the oldest living tree. There are probably pieces of wood scattered amongst that forest that are dead, dead trees that could be 6,000 years old. But as far as living trees go, Methuselah is the oldest known. Okay. If you're up there and you're walking around the trails and you just like go up to a ranger or something like that and you ask them like, hey, where's Methuselah? How can I find Methuselah? They're not going to tell you. In fact, if you go on forums, you go on like alltrails.com. If you go on um, forums talking about trees, anything that has Methuselah in it, you're not going to get any info. People will not tell you where it is. I think most people absolutely do not know where this tree is because you can watch YouTube videos of people hiking through and they're just like, duh, 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 duh. I wish I knew where I could find Methuselah, but I'm just going to accept it. And da, da, da. like, this is, this is nice being here, but I really wish I knew where the tree was. There's a lot of that. Okay. There's no, um, footage or anything of someone showing you where the tree is. There's no like map trail guide of how to get there. And, you know, in the day of the internet age, you would think that that would be quite accessible. You would think one person would know the answer and would want to, you know, give it to the people. But it's not possible to find that online. Okay. And going back to the photos, when you search Methuselah, you're going to see this beautiful, big, twisted, gnarled tree. Okay. And it's a dead tree. But a lot of people think that this is Methuselah just because of the way it looks, okay? And it's a big tree. So that's another kind of giveaway is like the older bristlegum pines are not that big. This is a big tree, okay? So I, I uh, encourage you, go on Google, type in Methuselah tree. You're going to see a, a lot of photos of this beautiful dead tree, probably with a bunch of stars behind it. You'll know what I'm talking about because you'll see reoccurring photos of the same exact tree. How do you know it's dead? Well, it's easy. There's no pines or there's no pine needles on it. So if the tree still has pine, green pine needles that are living, the tree is still alive. And a lot of those trees are look like they're just clinging on for dear life. Like they'll look pretty dead like this tree does, but then there'll be a section that still has pine needles on it. Still alive. Therefore, uh, this tree is not alive. Also, it's on a different path. There's a path called the Methuselah Trail, which Methuselah is on. And there's another path right there called the Discovery Trail. And that's the, the trail that this tree is on. Okay. So a lot of people think that this is Methuselah. It's not. And there's ways to know. There's, there's ways to figure it out. And there's actually ways to figure out which tree Methuselah is if you do enough research and where it is if you do enough research. So with that being said, I mean, and this is nothing that isn't just 
out there already, publicized, something that you can find on the internet, you might have to do a little extra digging, a little bit of extra investigating. But about a year after Edmund Shulman found Methuselah, there was a National Geographic episode, or uh, episode, National Geographic magazine that was released, okay? And there was an entire, about 20-page article about these ancient bristlecone pines up in the ancient bristlecone pine forest. And what they do is they talk about Edmund Shulman. And this, I think this is before they realized what exposing the location of this tree would do. They posted an article talking all about the oldest tree in existence. Okay. This is a one year after Edmund Shulman found Methuselah. Okay. Not only do they have an entire article discussing this tree, there is a photo in that article of Edmund Shulman holding Methuselah and a photo of a very small section of the tree. And in that article, they tell you this is the oldest tree alive. Okay. This is a year after he found Methuselah. He never found an older tree as, as long as he was alive. He only lived for like a couple, two or three years after that. But what they say in this national geographic article that you can find online. If you do a little bit of research, they have it. I think it's Arizona state university has a PDF on it. Go check it out. It's online. It, show, it doesn't say it's Methuselah. It says it's the oldest tree in existence. It's kind of good evidence, okay? It's kind of, it's pretty clear that the tree in that photo is in fact Methuselah. And I think what happened was they released that article. People started coming up to the White Mountains in droves. And they started checking out Methuselah. And things started happening. So... I think maybe the visitor center was, I don't, I don't know this. I didn't know what was going on back in the fifties, but this is my guess. Maybe the visitor center was more open to exposing the location and telling people how to find the tree. But now you're not going to be giving that, given that info at the ranger station. I think very, very few people actually know the location of this tree. When you get there, they have photos and, they have displays and things letting you know about the environment and about the trees and warnings and all that, you know, like visitor center, typical stuff with photos and, you know, text and things like that to give you information about the location. One of the photos or one of the displays shows four of the best dendrochronologists of all time. And dendrochronology is where they take these samples of the tree rings and count the rings. Essentially. That's what dendrochronology is. Edmund Schulman is on this post of four of the best dendrochronologists and the photo that they show of him to give an example of who the guy was is out even closer up. It's like a cropped version of that Nat Geo photo from 1958. So they're not telling you where Methuselah is at the park, but they give you a photo of Methuselah when you're there. Okay. 
I think that that's like a low key hint because there's so much misconception and there's so many people that think that they know which tree Methuselah is when really the information is like right there under your nose. I'm not going to tell you exactly how to find that tree or how to find Methuselah, but let me just say this, like the information's out there. One, there's a photo of the tree out there, or there's a photo of the oldest living tree. Hasn't been quite named Methuselah. It's out there on the internet, public forum. You can find it. You might have to do a little digging because they don't make it that easy. Like you don't just type in Methuselah tree and that article pops up. There's actually, you got to dig a little deeper. Secondly, there's a photo of the tree that was named the oldest tree in the world at the park when you get there. Okay. Thirdly, there's a section of the trail that they call the Methuselah Grove. Okay. So those are three major clues right there. The Methuselah Grove is not huge. The entire hike is about four and a half miles. The Methuselah Grove is a small strip of that hike that kind of winds around a certain section of the mountain. And you know when you get there uh, for a few reasons because they have little uh, trail markers that will let you know you've reached the Methuselah Grove. But not only that, everything starts to change drastically when you take this one corner on the trail. It's so fascinating. So you're already walking through bristlecone pines and mahogany and all these beautiful trees, but then you take this turn and the bristlecone pines just become gnarly, like extremely gnarled. It's like art pieces. It's like driftwood that are just formed into these gnarly curved shapes and some of them are dead lying down. In fact, there's probably more dead trees in this area than the other areas because they're so, so incredibly old. And it's just beautiful. You get this energy when you take that turn and you get to that section of the trail. You just know that you are with the most ancient beings on the face of the earth. What an incredible, incredible feeling. The wisdom, the knowledge of that section of forest is it's astounding. It's unbelievable. When you get to the Methuselah Grove and maybe you think you've found Methuselah, you'll notice that people are just walking right on by. They have no idea. They have no idea what's there. They don't know what to look for. They don't know what to look at. And it's really fascinating, man, because it's a very, very, very well-kept secret. Very, very well-kept secret. And I would never just tell all and just say, this is how you find it. But what I am doing here is I'm giving, I'm giving you clues of things that are already public information, things that are already public forum. If you do enough of your own research, you can find this stuff out. I did some of the research on my own. So I found out some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm not sharing anything that's not already out there in public forum. In fact, I think there are a few people out there on the internet that have low key kind of um, showed that they know where Methuselah is. There are some photo. I think there's like one photo of the tree that I found online. And it's like this, this photographer guy who has like all these different options of what you can buy. You can buy a towel with Methuselah on it. You can buy coasters with Methuselah on it. All this interesting stuff. We hiked up there. I don't know. Did I find the tree? Didn't I find the tree? 
Maybe. Maybe I found Methuselah. Maybe I know exactly where it is. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Um, but the oldest known living thing. Just fascinating. Super, super fascinating. The hike is cool, too. I mean, I mean, just to like give you a lowdown, like in case you maybe wanted to experience this yourself. Yeah, I would come very prepared if I was going to do this hike. And I did because I did research on it. I knew what I was getting into. It's, like I said, 45 minutes to an hour up this windy, windy road. And in some parts, it's a little sketch. You know, there's like edges that if you're not paying attention, you could just drive right off. And it condenses into a one lane highway in some spots. So like there's, I mean, if you're uh, experienced driving those types of roads, I mean, we take a big old van and trailer up through some of the gnarliest mountain roads in the world just to get to gigs. So we were riding in my wife's Prius. So it was pretty, pretty awesome, actually. Pretty, very, very simple, very simple ride. Um, some people have more fear than others getting up there. I'm sure if your rig is a little bigger, things can be a little more dicey, but for the most part, it's, it's legit. It's paved the whole way up all the way till you get to the visitor center, like the trailhead where all this begins. And so, yeah, I would bring a lot of water for the hike. The hike is four and a half miles, but you're starting at, in, at, elevation at 10,000 feet and then you're going to gain elevation. So it's like uphill during the hike. So I'd bring a lot of water at 10,000 feet. You're going to experience a lot of dryness. Uh, you don't want to get dehydrated at that elevation. That's the last thing you want. You're going to lose water through your mouth and everything much quicker because of the dryness. It's basically like a desert on a mountain. It's really, really interesting topography. So bring a lot of water, bring a, some sort of pack because you're going to need to throw, you know, munch, maybe like a couple of snacks and a, and a lot of water in your pack. Um, there's only vault toilets up there. So like you can handle your business, but it's like one of those things where it's just like a hole in the ground. Uh, right now during COVID, the visitor center was closed. So you couldn't go in and see the displays and get information. There's no ranger to come out and like tell you all this cool stuff about the trees and all the research they do and what they do, uh, with the tree rings to, like I said, find out about past weather and things like that. So visitor centers closed. You just go up there. They have like a little brochure stand where you can pop a dollar in to pay for the brochure and take that out. And that gives you like little trail marking, um, description. So I think it's like one through 24. There's little posts on the trail that give you a number. And then according to that number, you pull out the brochure and you can kind of read some information about what's happening in that area. Like for example, next to a tree that has tree rot down the middle, it explains what that is. Uh, it'll show you a small bristlecone pine that's like this big and explain to you that it's like a hundred year old tree because of how slow these trees grow. A lot of fascinating stuff. I know that. And I know like already, like if you're um, into this podcast because of music, you're probably have already turned it off because it's just so uh, incredibly nerdy and boring. <laughs> but, you know, some of these episodes are just going to be rants about things that I'm fascinated with. So this is one of them. So if you're just looking for strictly music talk, you can skip this episode. Maybe next episode will be a little bit better. But uh, we're going to keep nerding out on these trees for now. So yeah, you get your brochure set up, ready to go get, get yourself a little pack and be ready for a pretty decent, decently, um, physical hike. Okay. I do, I do like 
four to eight miles, maybe sometimes even 10 miles around my local area in Fullerton, California, we have hills I can go climb, you know, 500 feet in elevation and do hikes and we have beautiful trails around here. So I'm like constantly moving and constantly hiking and constantly walking. So I wouldn't say I'm inexperienced, but nor would I say I'm in bad shape, but it was still challenging. It was still a very challenging hike. Like I said, you're at elevation, you're climbing elevation while you're doing it. So like walking up a hill where I live at sea level at 150 feet above sea level, it's nothing. I don't get winded. Um, if everything feels really good, it's easy to exercise down here. When you get to 10,000 feet, that all changes. So like an incline that I'm used to down here, a little bit tougher on the lungs. My, my legs are keeping up. I got the strength, but you breathe a little, you start to breathe a little heavier when you get to the tops of those peaks than you would at a peak down here in SoCal. So it is challenging. And uh, <laughs> the way that the trails built is it's like pretty good. It's like pretty big and wide and well built. And then you get to the Methuselah Grove and it almost kind of seems like either after that, it was like super challenging uh, terrain to create a, <laughs> to create a trail, but man, it, or it kind of seems like they just gave up like, okay, we got to Methuselah. Let's just go straight back up the mountain now and like make the trail as quick as we can. It, Cause as soon as you get past Methuselah, things start to get tighter. I was literally like my right foot kept slipping off the trail. <laughs> like, like I was about to go down the edge and, uh, it gets tight and it gets steep. So it's like, all business at that point. It's like, all right, we saw the Grove. Let's get back up to the visitor center. Cause it's like a big loop. Um, I guess you could just like turn around and go back to up the other way, but you're already further than halfway. So I think the smart thing is I would recommend just doing the entire trail and I would do it the, the proper route to the proper direction. Some people were going against the grain and I just didn't feel like that was the best experience because you get to the Grove sooner I think it's kind of a cool buildup when you walk through the rest of the trail first and the grove is kind of towards the end, halfway end point. So yeah, if you go up there, I would stay in town the night before or get there really early because we got up there early and it still started to get pretty damn hot. We got lucky though, because we had some cloud coverage when it, when the sun did come out, but it, as we were ending the trail around like 11 noon, the sun started beaming and that's when the people started showing up too. So get there early and you're going to beat the crowd. And not only are you going to beat the crowd, you're going to beat the heat. So all those people that were just getting there and just starting their hike, I could imagine it being a bit more brutal because the sun there's nothing really blocking you from the sun. There are trees and there are sections of the trail that are a bit shaded, but for the most part, it's very exposed. You're kind of just like right on the side of a mountain at the tree line. So come with water to handle your business, uh, get a trail map, get, get packed up, have some snacks, maybe some electrolytes that you can throw like some Gatorade or something you can throw in your water, go the proper route on the Methuselah Grove trail and you're going to find the Methuselah Grove. And somewhere in that grove is the oldest known living organism. So, so fascinating. And I could not recommend it more. It was such a great trip. Like I said, spent some time in the Alabama Hills. I one day want to summit Mount Whitney. 
uh, do like the all the whole hike from Whitney Portal all the way up to the peak and back down. I know a lot of people do it. Some people do it in one day. Some people do it in four days. So, yeah, man, California is just a wonder, and we have a plethora of amazing landscape. And that drive through the 395 is absolutely unbelievable. You got Yosemite National Park. You got the um, Sequoia Park. You got Mammoth, everything to your left as you're driving up. You drive through all those cool old towns like Lone Pine, Big Pine, Bishop, Independence. And you just get this kind of like prospector gold looking kind of old school vibe from those towns and you just can't beat it. So yeah, I mean, anyone that's really into nature, into trees, if you've, you know, checked out maybe the general Sherman tree, which is the largest tree by volume. Um, I know not a lot of people have seen the tallest tree in the world. That's Hyperion. And that's really hard to get to. There's challenging, like, going through rivers and it's off trail. There's no trail that just leads right to it. You kind of got to know what you're doing. So maybe some people have seen that stuff, but I know a lot of people haven't gone and checked out the bristlecone pine forest. And I highly, highly recommend it. It's a very, very cool place. You can feel some amazing spiritual energy there, wisdom, and just all together. It's a cool, cool place. Great atmosphere. I think the weather there is incredible during the summer there like like I said there were some clouds in the sky covering the sun but for the most part it was like a nice beautiful summer's day and yeah I would highly highly recommend going and checking that out especially if you're already heading up north and could potentially take that 395 route and then if you could just take that the whole rest of the way up it's the best, man. It is so incredibly beautiful. Take it all the way up to NorCal. Oh, man, it was just fascinating. <laughs> Tahoe was like unbelievably packed though, man. When I cruised through Tahoe, there's cars parked. I thought it was a Disneyland. It was insane. There's cars parked lined up on both sides of the road. People just like trekking into the lake. Uh, that was a cool, another cool thing about the Bristlecone Pine Forest too is there wasn't a lot of people there. And in fact, when we pulled up to the visitor center in the morning, like around nine o'clock, there was one car in the visitor center. When we got back up to the trail, there was some more. There was maybe like six or seven cars, families pulling up, getting ready to go on their adventure. But still, six or seven cars. I mean, you go to Yosemite right now, you go to General Sherman, you go to Tahoe, you go to some of these more popular, iconic places in California, and it's going to be absolutely packed, especially right now, something about, I don't know, the pandemic and lockdown and people have more time to go do stuff like this. I heard something like there's like three times as many tourists in Tahoe right now as normal. And I can imagine Yosemite and all those other widespread, well-known places being similarly packed. So if you are looking for an adventure, go check out the White Mountains right next to Big Pine. Go to the ancient bristlecone pine forest, go on the four and a half mile hike on the, the Methuselah walk, go try to find the Methuselah tree, go on an adventure, check it out. It's the oldest known living thing on the face of the earth. How cool is that? I think that that's pretty cool. All right. 
This has been John Lavero Actualized Podcast. Thank you for nerding out with me today on something that's completely different than what I normally discuss. We talked about trees today. We talked about old trees. We talked about big trees. We talked about wide trees. We talked about nature. We talked about California. Hey, take yourself a road trip up to 395. Go check it out. Go check out Lone Pine. Go check out Big Pine. Go check out the White Mountains. Head up north. You can... You can cut in, you can go to the Sequoia, you can go see the biggest trees in the world, you can go see Yosemite, you can go see Half Dome, all that. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This has been another episode of the John Lavero Actualized Podcast. Check us out. Check me out on Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff. All these episodes are on YouTube if you want to see the video portion of it. But until next time, I'm John Lavero. Peace out.